I'm turning today to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2 and verse 23. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And our subject uh, this morning is the Lord of the Sabbath, based on that 28th verse. And uh, we shall look at these verses, and it's an opportunity to consider the value and the abiding nature of the Lord's day. Now, the Sabbath, and this will be a first heading, is about grace, not really about works, and always was. Well, in verse 23, you see that the disciples of the Lord, they're hungry, and going through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, they pluck the grain, perhaps barley if it was early in the year, perhaps wheat if it was a bit later, the harvests in the Holy Land at different times, and they rubbed, according to the Gospel of Luke, they rubbed the grain between their hands, and then they ate. And the disciples were immediately accused by or scorned by the Pharisees who found fault with them and complained to the Lord, why are they doing this which is forbidden on the Sabbath day? Well, it wasn't actually true that it was forbidden on the Sabbath day. The trouble was that the rules for the Sabbath given by God had been made much more complicated and added to by the rabbis over time, and uh, the long list of most absurd and ridiculous rules were added to the Sabbath commandment according to their rules, which specifically spelled out that to pluck the ears of corn was the same as reaping it with a scythe. What you did with the fingers was equivalent to reaping with the scythe. Whereas actually, in Deuteronomy, the distinction is drawn. And it's expressly said, you may go through a person's field and pluck the corn, but you mustn't reap it because it's not yours. But you were allowed this small plucking. But they were ignorant of that, the Pharisees. And they had these rules which were of human invention, which had been added to the law of God. So they were wrong, actually, in their accusation. And it was the same with the rubbing of the grain between the hands that Luke particularly mentions. is isn't mentioned in Mark, but that was held by their rules to be equivalent to threshing the grain. But they were wrong. And uh, it was no infringement of even the Old Testament Sabbath commandment. But uh, the reply of Christ went much further. Verse 25, he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did? These are 
very weighty words. Have you never read they were scornful in their criticism of the disciples? And he really accuses them of ignorance. The Lord says, are you ignorant of your scriptures and what David did, the psalmist and prophet David? When he had need, well, he was anointed to be king. Before David was king, there was in the recorded incident of how he, with his small militia, needed uh, food, and he went into the house of God as it existed in those days, and he was given by the acting priest, Ahimelech, under Abiathar, he was given loaves, five loaves from the showbread. The showbread was 12 loaves that were displayed on the Sabbath day, fresh every Sabbath day, which uh, symbolized God's provision of his people. And 12 loaves, 12 tribes of Israel symbolized his providential care of those 12 tribes. Well, only the priests were supposed to eat the spent loaves when they were replaced, but they were given to David and his men. And that was legal and proper because Christ uses this example from the Old Testament to show that the Sabbath always did accommodate need and compassion, works of compassion. That's why it was right for the Lord to heal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath always yielded to necessity and its rules would always give to need and particularly to works of compassion. Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was at hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, Ahimelech was the acting priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat but for the priests. But it could be eaten in necessity or in an act of compassion. And verse 27, he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. They're great words. The Sabbath was made as a blessing, as a means of conveying God's purposes, God's blessing and instruction to them. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. In other words, to be a slave to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is to be honored. The Sabbath is from God. But on the other hand, it's for man's benefit. It isn't a system of human in, humanly invented works and ceremonies as the Jews had made it which enslaved man, as though man was made to be a servant or slave to the Sabbath. He honors it, he follows it, he observes it, but it's a blessing to him and a benefit, and it always was. And Christ propounds that principle. So it gives us an opportunity to speak a little about the Sabbath. And I go back to the book of Genesis and uh, remind you of this that there in Genesis and in uh, 
the very beginning where God makes the Sabbath and commands it. We read in chapter 2 in the opening verses, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended the work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day. This, dear friends, before I read any further, is a creation ordinance. This is long before the law of Moses and the Jewish Sabbath. This is something established right at the very beginning of time. So we call it a creation ordinance. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, made it holy and separate, something special, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So, yes, it was to commemorate creation, to remind them that all that they experienced and touched and saw and knew was from God. But it's even more than that. And you look at this because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And the Sabbath, which means rest or interval, something of that nature, a breaking off from the normal, the Sabbath was to commemorate rest, the rest of God. Now let me put it another way. On the Sabbath, in olden times, you did no work. Your servants did no work. Your uh, laboring animals did no work. Everything stopped. What's the chief significance of that? Everything stops. It is a day of rest. And it's going to be a day for worship and a day for instruction and a day for God. But before we get to that, everything stops. You do no work. Why did God insist no work on the Sabbath? Because it's a picture. It's a lesson. The day that you're going to be especially blessed by God with instruction from the Word, with closeness to Him in worship, the day that you're going to be focused on Him and blessings from Him is a day in which you do no work. Don't you see? The Sabbath is a picture of grace. Rest is grace. The way of salvation that will be unfolded in the Old Testament and more fully and wonderfully in the New is about grace. You cannot do anything to receive the blessing of God. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You cannot earn or work your way into God's acceptance and favor and heaven. Everything must stop for the day when God blesses you. That's the chief and the first thing about the Sabbath. Sabbath. 
rest. God stops and you, in order to focus on him and enjoy him and receive from him, rest. Of course, you won't do that for most of the week. We have to work. We have to till the ground. We have to produce. We have to care for our families. We have to keep ourselves. There's a great deal to do. Life is an endless round of labors. But on the Sabbath, the great picture is no work to receive from God. Now, it isn't a kind of um, 100% duty. You must do things. You get up, you dress, you have meals. You prepare more simply on the Lord's Day. Certain things you've got to do. It isn't total abstention from all labor and all work, but it's a laying down of all the normal exertions to earn our bread and to survive. And so it's grace. You cannot work to secure blessing from God. It's a picture, primarily, of God's grace. That's what it's all about. It's a picture of eternity, and that's unfolded through the scriptures too. The rest of God, after creation, after earth, and life on earth, there is something else, something that continues from that. There's a hereafter. There's an eternal rest. It's a picture of grace. It's a picture of eternal rest. One day a week we remember eternal rest. And this was the Sabbath from the beginning. So it commemorated creation. You thought of that. You notice how desperate atheism, unbelieving mankind is to get rid of God as creator. And yet one of the things which must be done one day out of seven is to commemorate God as creator of all that we possess and enjoy and touch and see and feel and know. He made it all. Why, the evolutionary theory and the rationalistic ideas of atheism it's at the very basis of everything. There is no creator. God is not to be remembered, commemorated, thanked, thought of for these things at all. But this is the Sabbath, one day in seven, for creation, for the picture of grace and the proclamation of grace, for remembering eternal rest, do you remember eternal rest on the, on the Lord's day? Is it on your agenda? This is the day which pictures eternal rest, the day when all labors will cease, when we're with the Lord in glory throughout the everlasting ages. Can you get through the Lord's day without giving some thought to what it signifies Eternal rest. And so it became the day for worship and instruction. We worship and read the word every day. But this 
is the prime and special day for these things. Why, I flagged up a hymn. We would normally sing it perhaps at the close of the Lord's Day from time to time, but how beautifully it expresses it. Uh, It's the hymn, Another Sabbath Ended. Oh, Jesus, our dear Saviour, to thee our songs we raise. Our hearts by care untroubled uplift themselves in praise. But listen, for to God's truce with labour, more glory thou hast given, and Sabbaths now are sweeter, since Christ the Lord has risen. O Lord, again we bless thee for such a day as this, so rich in ancient glories, so bright with hopes of bliss. O may we reach thy perfect, thine endless day of rest, then lay our earth-worn spirits upon our Father's breast. The old hymns will have the Sabbath principle and the eternal rest that they prefigure, of which they are an earnest and a picture. It'll have those things in them. Now, the purposes of the Sabbath then, sanctified and set aside by God, are to reflect on creation, upon grace, the principle of grace, free salvation, upon the eternal rest, and upon the needs of the soul. But with the deliverance from Egypt and the time of Moses, something else was added to the Sabbath, to remember redemption, the deliverance from Egypt, and also it was a mark of the special covenant that God had with the Jewish nation until the coming of Christ. So those elements were added to Sabbath worship. Some people say, oh, there is no Lord's Day principle binding on us today. The Sabbath isn't mentioned between Genesis chapter 2 and the giving of the law by Moses. But that's not right. For one thing, the mention of the Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2, as I mentioned, is a creation ordinance that stands over everything, that abides eternally. For another thing, you do see some signs of the Sabbath. Take, for instance, the narrative of Noah and the flood. And if you sometime read through Noah and the ark and the time when they were in the ark, you soon notice that major things happened at seven-day intervals. The seven-day week, the seven-day intervals, presumably the Sabbath was recognized and was regulating society in the time of Noah. You see that hint. Where else did it come from? It's been printed on all society ever since that time. And there's another mention of the Sabbath before the giving of the law under Moses in Exodus chapter 20, and that is in Exodus chapter 16. 
Before the giving of the law, the children of Israel were given the manna. And you'll remember, even as soon as I mentioned this, that the manna wasn't given on the Sabbath. A double portion was given on the sixth day, because as Moses pointed out and reminded them, the seventh day is the Sabbath, where they won't go out and collect They'll have been given a double portion that will not rot, will not deteriorate or perish. So before the giving of the law through Moses, the Sabbath is mentioned in the connection with the giving of manna. And when Moses gives the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, he expressly says, remember the Sabbath. Remember it. In other words, it was something which, though there is no greater mention of it, was kept and known by the people of God through those years. It may often have been neglected and seriously, but it was still there, and it was still in their scripture, and they still recognized it. And so Moses says, remember This predates the law. But many, many Christians who don't want to observe the Lord's day properly and fully will tell you this, that the fourth commandment has been removed, that it no longer applies, that it isn't repeated in the New Testament, so you're not bound by it. But that's that's a very serious thing claim to make the fourth commandment has dropped out with the coming of Christ there are now only nine commandments you've got to have powerful authority to make such a statement to be able to stand and say I remove the fourth commandment leaving us with only nine can you do that have you authority to do that Many preachers, and they appear to love the Lord and believe the scripture otherwise, but they do do that. And so they detract from the fourth commandment, the Sabbath principle, continuing in the Lord's day, in the Christian era. But do they have the authority? On the contrary, whenever you find the commandments mentioned as a whole in the New Testament, there is no amendment. There is no specified omission of the Sabbath. The commandments are honoured and mentioned as one. Break one, break them all. When James says that anyone who breaks one commandment has broken All of them. He doesn't say, but of course, uh, we omit the fourth commandment. No, they're all included. And so they are in a great number of texts. I could turn to John chapter 14 and verse 15, just to give you one or two examples. This will be brief, but it's important to look at it. Uh, John 14, 15 says the Lord... If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and so on. 
if ye love me, keep my commandments. This refers to the Ten Commandments. There is no amendment. There is no pointing out an omission. There is no alteration of them. They stand together in the words of the Lord. It's the same in verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. There are various other mentions once again in chapter 15 of John's Gospel. And verse 10, you have it again. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. No amendment, James, I've already mentioned. We could go to 1 John and chapter 5 and verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Well, those who want to do away with proper observance of the Lord's Day, they turn to the letter to the Romans in chapter 14 and verse 5. And this is what they claim. One man, says Paul, esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. And they take these words, but it's a very ignorant thing to do, and it's appalling interpretation. They take these words and they say, there you are, Sabbath observance, Lord's Day observance, is not pressed upon people in the New Testament age. But this is talking about uh, Jewish converts, as Paul goes on to make clear. These are Jewish converts. They've come to Christ. They've believed in salvation by grace alone. They've been converted. But their lifelong practice of observing the sixth the seventh day, the Sabbath day, but they can't give it up. We have always stopped everything on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. Now, the church into which I've been converted observes the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection, and honors that. And they pause if they can, if they're not slaves, and compelled to work, they pause on the first day and they assemble together and worship on that day. But we must pause on the seventh day also, said some converted Jews, because we've always done it and we, it feels all wrong to give it up. The Apostle Paul is saying here and elsewhere, well, let them do that. That's what they've always done. As long as they don't believe that somehow it earns them credits for heaven. But it's what they've always done. They're very uneasy about completely giving up the Sabbath. We'll call it, says Paul, the weaker conscience. 
but let them do that. They are sincere Christians. They gather on the Lord's Day also. They worship by, and they seek, seek God by grace alone. So we'll let them do that. Whether you observe the seventh-day Sabbath or not, it's not obligatory anymore to you. He's not talking about the Lord's Day. He's talking about the Jewish Sabbath when he utters these words. And it's exactly the same in Galatians chapter 4. They appeal to this. I'm sorry to tie you with these things, but it is important. You might hear these arguments. Verse 9 of Galatians 4. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereby ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you. Oh, they say, you don't have to observe the Lord's day. No, but Paul here is talking about the Jewish Sabbath. You Galatians, some of you are turning back to your Jewish ways altogether. I'm in despair of you. Why do you want to go back to that? He's not talking about the Lord's Day when he disparages the observing of days. He's talking about the Jewish Sabbath and the Jewish feast days and things like that. And it's exactly the same in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. The arguments of those who want to relax the Lord's Day are very weak. I read Colossians 2.16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. There you are, they say. We don't have to observe the Lord's Day. No, this is about the Jewish Sabbath. Let no man judge you Gentile Christians because you don't keep the Jewish Sabbath. You don't have to keep the Jewish Sabbath. We have the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. It doesn't have all those onerous rules attached to it. But it does say, as far as you can, you desist from your normal work and you focus on the Lord. It doesn't have the rabbis' crazy rules that they'd invented that tell you how far you should walk, how heavy an article has got to be before it's banned from picking it up because it counts as work, doesn't have all that attached to it. But where we can, we desist from ordinary work. If we were to be practical about this, all kinds of emergencies arise. And you may have to break the Lord's day because we've been disorganized or because something has gone wrong. You may have to work sometimes on the Lord's day. Not only, of course, works of compassion, they can be done. You carry on as a doctor or a nurse. There are many activities that can be carried on and must be on the Lord's Day. If you're called into work once in a while, 
and an emergency and you'd lose your job if you didn't go, you may have to go. But as far as it's down to you, if you can, as far as it's down to you, you leave off normal activities for the Lord. That's the Lord's day. We're yielded to him, we give it to him. The Sabbath principle goes on, that we rest from our usual activities as much as we can. If you're a student and there's something you suddenly discover you've got to do and an assignment you've got to complete, you may have to do it. You won't be morally sinning, but maybe you should have been better organized as a Christian. Maybe you should have worked your week out better. Maybe you helped yourself to a shade too much leisure, dare I say. So plans went wrong. But do what you have to do and try not to do it again. It isn't some terrible moral sin, but the best of our efforts will go to observing the Lord's Day. It isn't a shopping day. It isn't a day for entertainment on the television. Watch the news. But it isn't a day for entertainment. It isn't a day for complete diversions. Our time really is going on very fast. And I wanted to talk for a little about, from Mark's Gospel, about uh, the Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 28. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath principle goes on. Of course, uh, the chief thing now is the death and resurrection of Christ. That's why we believe that the Holy Spirit moved and inspired the apostles to move the Christian Sabbath to the first day of the week. That's why the appearances of the Lord, the resurrection appearances, initially took place on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. You read it in the Gospels, the resurrection, the first day of the week, the following week, again, the first day of the week. The precedent was set by the Lord when he meets with his disciples. So very soon you find it in the New Testament. They're gathering together on the first day of the week. When the Apostle Paul goes to Troas, in the book of Acts, the old church is gathered together to break bread, as was their custom on the first day of the week. The Apostle writes to the churches of Galatia, and he says that all the churches in the Roman province of Galatia, gathered together on the first day of the week. When the Apostle John is on the Isle of Patmos, the very last book of the Bible, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Do you know what he's quoting? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He's quoting Mark chapter 2, verse 28. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath, the Lord's 
day. That's where it comes from. The day of the resurrection of the Lord. The Lord's day continues to remember creation. And it continues to remember that the principle of rest teaches grace. The day that we gather for encouragement and instruction from the word, for worship and for meeting with God, is a day when our works are laid down. It's a picture that salvation is by grace and not by works. It's a picture of the eternal rest which we enter into at death. It's precious to us. And as we close, it's awkward. It is awkward. In the Old Testament, the surrounding nations looked on at Israel and they were baffled. These people stop everything on the seventh day. Why? All their farming methods, everything they do, has to have to be organized for this one-day stoppage every week. Everything revolves around it. Everything must be organized to provide for that day. It is such an important day to them, the day that they worship their God, the day when they stop. What a witness it was to the nations around. What's different about those Jews? What's special? They stop. Actually, as the centuries went by, half the pagan world began to copy them. It was a good idea to have a stoppage day, a day of rest. But the witness of that day was powerful. It's the same with Christians. Today people look on and they say, well, we go here on Sunday, we go there, we do this, we do that. They stop and they worship and they won't do all those things. Yet the best matches are on Sunday and they don't watch them. And the best this and that and the other is on Sunday and they don't go. It's a powerful witness, friends, the Lord's Day, just as it was in ancient times. And you have to organize around the Lord's Day. And that helps you in your life. The Lord's Day governs your week. And you provide for it and make allowance for it. You get ahead as the weekend approaches with things because you can't spend all your time in the kitchen or under the car on Sunday. So you organize around it. And it teaches you how to live the Christian life because we're supposed to be doing that in the whole of life. Everything that happens to me is it the will of God? My new job, my new location, what I should do, how I should... I'm available to God and I organize around that principle. I am available to the Lord. 
in the organisation of my life and my time. And I learned that from the Lord's Day, the Sabbath principle. It's not surprising to me that the Christians who give up the Lord's Day and go only on Sunday morning to church and then they get into their most casual clothes imaginable and the day is their own for entertainment, recreation and the family. Everything is for them, no longer for the Lord. I'm not surprised that those are the same people and the same preachers who no longer believe in divine guidance and seeking the Lord's will for what we work at and where we work and where we live. They don't believe in being under the hand of God. They're making all their own decisions. They would have learned to organize round the priority of the Lord if they'd observed the Lord's day. Would have helped them. So it has wonderful functions. But the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. It's for him. So, of course, it persists. If the Lord persists, the Sabbath persists. Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord's day. That's enough for us today, dear friends.